Welcome to another episode of Grid Forward Chats, a podcast series with industry leaders on what lies ahead for our electric grid. These podcasts are hosted by Grid Forward Executive Director Bryce Yonker. Welcome to the next episode of Grid Forward Chats. Today we have with us Chair Jeffrey Ackerman. Chair Ackerman is coming from the state of Colorado, where he is a part of the commission and a chair of the Public Utilities Commission there in Colorado. Thanks for being on with us, Jeff. Glad to be here. Thank you. Before we dive in, can you give a brief overview of yourself in the role there at the commission? Sure, gladly. Uh, The governor asked me to come over to the commission. I came over from directing the state's energy office in January of 2017. So I've been there just shy of four years uh, and came back to where I used to have been staff before that, working, uh, doing policy research, heading that up for the commissioners. And even before that, I first came over there to do demand-side management advising with the commissioners. And so uh, the commission uh, covers a wide spectrum of things, and commissioners kind of play the role, like in most states, of being that final public check on regulatory practice. So today is, we're here at the end of, of August on on the 26th. We're, we're well into five months of, of dealing with the global pandemic before we get too far in our conversation. Um, how, how are you? How are the folks at the commission doing? Yeah, it's sort of amazing. I think we're putting hash marks in the wall, or did for a while, of how many weeks has this been. In Colorado, we went uh, 24 weeks ago now uh, into total remote operations. Uh, Looks like we'll do that for the balance of the year. The transition for that uh, was very smooth. I think we're all learning a lot about how much you can do remotely. Uh, So we're still able to handle permits, applications, do our business, convene public hearings, rulemaking hearings, adjudicated hearings. I think the biggest thing we probably miss is human contact at the front desk and as a commissioner whose job it is to sort of be isolated, sequestered, it even doubles down on that sense of isolation, but it's part of the job. So the PUC in Colorado is is a rather traditional regulatory agency for electric grid organizations, and at least here in the U.S., but can you briefly recap the, the work there at the commission and, and especially some of the priorities you, you all have been uh, working through in the recent months? Sure. Uh, in a broader context of a commission that besides having uh, electric and gas and the residual amount of the telecom market, and we deal with pipeline safety and railroad crossings and uh, common carriers. But I think everyone knows the commission these days, first and foremost, for what it is doing in the energy space and in the climate space. And in 2019, with a Democratic governor and a Democratic control of both chambers of the legislature, probably the most expansive portfolio of energy policy one had ever seen came out of that legislature. It, it ranged from directing us to explore in earnest a public interest determination about how to join a regional market and which kind of regional market to join. It brought carbon into the center of resource planning for our investor-owned utilities and for the first time brought our nonprofit GNT Tri-State under that purview of resource planning. We're exploring distribution system planning for the first time, like many of our colleagues around the country are doing. We are also tasked with exploring performance-based rate making or performance incentive metrics. Uh, and in there are other things such as securitization as a tool for uh, asset retirement, 
and a call for electric vehicle transportation electrification plans to be filed, which have been filed earlier this year from our two investor-owned utilities. So that's that's sort of the, the heart of the work plan that, that was given to us in 2019. That's a lot. And we're going to cover, hopefully, most of the salient pieces of that in our discussion today. How are the dynamics that are in play there in Colorado kind of shaping that framework for you guys? When you, when you think about grid modernization and energy innovation, deeper decarbonization, and a demand for higher levels of system flexibility and customer interests, how, how are these sorts of macro factors impacting that, uh, that overall uh, workload that you guys are, are taking on? Yeah, I've taken a breath while I think about all that and how much we're dealing with. Uh, when you talk about, let's just start with the grid first, uh, which in a lot of ways uh, with distribution system planning being right now in a stakeholder engagement mode and soon to go into rulemaking, that's probably the, the most uncharted frontier because we're going from a space there where up uh, in currently everything done on the distribution grid was basically deemed ordinary course of business. So that's the new frontier of how utilities and third parties and regulators are going to figure out how is that arena change and why? I think the area of deeper decarbonization, which gets most of the attention probably, and rightly so because of the climate imperative, is calling for kind of a reallocation of uh, risk and rewards, ultimately. We, we as a commissioner, when I was staffing, explored the whole notion of research, development, uh, design, deployment, sort of the RDD and DMET process, and where do utilities belong on that spectrum in terms of as an appropriate cost that utilities and by extension customers should cover because we know we need to move quicker in innovation there and exploring decarbonization. Uh, so that's on the horizon as well. And then even behind that is a still evolving sense of customer choice, which is a term we almost overuse, but customers who want to self-generate, want to store uh, their own electricity, want to um, engage in transactions more, things like that. That relationship uh we sort of danced around for the last four or five years, probably still merits us diving into in the near future as well. And that even is before I touch on community solar, which even today we just finalized our community solar rules. And uh, oh. um, we were just doing that earlier today. Uh, I would just paraphrase our community solar experience as I did in the meeting this morning. It said, in a lot of ways, Colorado thinks of itself as the birthplace, the birthplace of community solar. But while we may have birthed it, we're struggling with the adolescence of community solar here in Colorado. So there's some growing pains to work through still. Mm, interesting. So on, not exactly on community engagement or customer engagement, but on customers mm. uh, at a high level, how are they doing? I mean, we, we've talked to a number of our hosts who have talked about how the load profiles are, are changing and how customers are being impacted. They stay home more and as businesses are having a hard time you know, coming back online. How, how are customers in Colorado doing right now? Colorado, who for many years, especially coming out of the, the last recession, prided itself on being a diverse, robust economy that could be more resilient and responsive, even with pockets of areas where the state that didn't recover as well. We're watching that implication now with what's happening here uh, I think parts of watching what a pandemic does to an economy is so widespread and understanding how it, it shows up, it being the economic you know, chaos that it causes, not just the immediate understanding of what it does to the places we focus first for utilities and low-income customers, but what it means across the board where things that you just wonder, 
you know, are we going to use commercial office space the way we used to? Because Colorado is sort of a low intensity state when it comes to an industrial backbone. So the system, the electric system is based heavily on those kind of loads, such as commercial office space. So those are, those are the things we're going to be watching 2020 and beyond as to how those change and how they possibly change long term and don't ever possibly recover. And, and on that topic of how things change, obviously 2020 has has thrown a lot at at the industry and at us all. Uh, as you and I were were trading notes to have this conversation, we wanted to have one of the main themes be around this topic of how does a well laid out set of thoughts or plans or guidelines or however we want to think about that pre what we're dealing with now. So let's call that 2019. How does that become salient, relevant, useful at all in any way, shape, or form in 2021? Uh, I think Colorado, again, prided itself in 2019 of being one of those lead states that was embracing the climate imperative, was bringing climate front and center and renewable energy front and center into the discourse of where electric utilities and the electric market was going. So, you know, we were seeing that leadership like many states. We were seeing it from our legislature. We were seeing it from our governor's office and as regulators appropriately interpreting those laws. Uh, making the rules, conducting the adjudications that were necessary to bring that into into place. And so 2019 and into 2020, we saw the pieces falling into place fairly well. Broadly speaking, and then we'll get to the details, it was kind of that I think we're seeing that a pandemic basically impacts normal business activity, if not all of human engagement, in ways that are so significantly restricted, it's unprecedented, and rightly so. But the the actual implications of that, although we've watched good gubernatorial leadership through executive orders and the like, and an understanding of how to be responsive through moratoria on disconnects and things like that. And, and we can talk more about other things we're doing to do some research and study in that area. It sort of makes one realize that there is only so much that processes, regulatory processes, and so much that utilities and institutions can do all at once. How many balls can you keep in the air? So I think that's what we're just starting to get our uh, realization of what is going to happen a little more slowly or a little differently. And what is it we haven't learned yet? And on this general theme, how are the way that customers are be- being taken care of? How, how does that adjust in, in these times? On the customer perspective, and, and again, like many states, we went from moratoria to then actually laws passed to say, let's revisit the disconnection practices. Let's see if we're, if we really have up to speed our best practices. So we quickly opened a proceeding that's already moved to uh, rulemaking, uh, issuing a rulemaking a week ago. And then again, this morning in our, it was a busy weekly meeting this morning. Uh, we refocused that docket to ask some of the broader questions that I think from a background in, in low income advocacy need to be applied to all more, uh, customer segments. And that is where is that dynamic balance between implications to a utility's revenue flow and implications to customers' ability to still be a customer? And can you find a, a more creative balance if you build a longer time horizon, if you think differently in less black and white, but some form of appropriate sort of partial payment or extremely extended payment plans, ways that say it's better to have that customer paying something? And what is that something? that is better to have them pay than not be a customer at all. And if utilities can do some little part of keeping a storefront business to be a business versus shutting down, and then you have just vacant space, I think we all benefit from that. But we have to 
take a, a very concerted, sincere look at those trade-offs. So I think that's what's happening on the customer side of that. But I think also another aspect uh, is a lot of what we were doing in the world of decarbonization, for example, and I often would make a try not to make sort of just too much of a quip of this, but the point being that on electric systems, load growth makes a lot of questions, a lot of uh, decisions much easier if we're talking about the new load and how we're going to serve the new load with clean and green energy versus which load or which part of the system is not going to operate anymore and where, where are we incurring stranded costs. So, so I think the fact that uh, a state that was watching low growth in the most part, and how, especially in the XL Colorado territory, and now pivoting from there to not sure what that low growth looks like in 2021, has implications for conversations that'll start in 2021 with XL uh, about the next iteration of a resource plan. So I think th- those touch points are just coming into focus right now. Yeah, with regards to load growth, welcome to most of the rest of the country, right? So most most other places were at flat or kind of single digit declining. So kind of welcome to the pack. But on the utility plan side, on the utility revenue side, you know, there's there's adjustments happening as they look to you know capital expenditures they're making or prioritization of of the projects that they're doing now. How how are there appropriate pathways ahead to to make sure that the utility model, you know has a, an appropriate place to land now and maybe has a trajectory, you know, down the future towards towards something that is is even more uh, encompassing of the dynamics in the marketplace. So I know my, my question really is the more immediate one, you know, what are you guys doing now, right now to kind of deal with the implications of this all? But if you want to wade into some of the, the future stuff, we can talk about that a sure. little bit too. Let's take it sort of now and then in, in sort of near term and longer term. And yeah. I, think, I think beyond uh, part of the now, which we talked about is that more immediate sort of triage of disconnection and the like. And then from there, longer term ways to make sure we're avoiding future disconnections. Yeah. And then from there, it's into that arena of saying it's a, it's a challenge of bandwidth capacity of, uh, and which is probably that as much as it is capital allocation kind of issues, because uh, I think there's how, just how much can the utility and the regulator and the stakeholders take on in, in arenas where we were sort of feeling our way through how to change the relationship. How do we change the relationship on the distribution grid? How do we change the relationship in terms of uh, embracing new technologies uh, that are going to be part of generation uh, so that we accelerate decarbonization, which I think everyone will tell you, you know, renewables has changed the, the nature of the financial conversation, but there's still some real world challenges of, of uh, accelerating retirements and of making grid operations of, uh, operate smoothly and the like of handling resiliency and the like as we transform a grid. And that's even before I bring in transmission, where Colorado is still sitting basically as a transmission island right now. And we can probably tolerate that island uh, existence in some ways, but we're going to need to find out new ways to connect. So all of those are big questions that require big thinking, require serious policy and regulatory engagement with the utilities, uh, will show up in sometimes only in pieces in a, in a regulated proceeding. And it takes basically mental and physical and sort of institutional capacity to keep the pieces connected well and make it all go forward. So that's the next part. And then even if, you, if you're not tired from what I've said there, then you add to that, what do we learn and what should we be learning from the circumstances we're in right now? And I'm really uh, impressed on some of the different sort of blog posts and articles I've read, I've read about 
are we leveraging the upside opportunities that come from the, the negative aspects of a pandemic and a recession? Are utilities learning different ways to conduct business that over time might lower operating costs, lower overhead? Um, did we f- leverage financially what happened to the financial markets to the degree that happened and refinance? That may be behind us already. So, so all of those things are happening concurrently. And it's, it's testing the ability of regulatory processes that many times are still steeped in sort of 1980s, 1990s models of engagement and how to work in the 2020s. From the long list of areas that you were near the top of your guys' priority going into all of this, have things shuffled at all? Is there elements that have kind of risen to the top again, or is the portfolio of things that you guys are prioritizing reasonably similar, just in a bit of a different context? Yeah, it forces me to take a step back and think what has changed. Uh, I think, for example, in areas that are uh, new to us, like I'm the hearing commissioner for distribution system planning for the for the stakeholder engagement docket that that this fall should trigger a rulemaking. There's probably a little flux in there as to the how aggressively we're pursuing those rules, just in part because it's not just a simple "Hey, bring me a notice of proposed rulemaking," but it's all the other pieces to keep the machinery going. Because if nothing else, once you do that, the clock starts, and now you're on a new clock. And how do we do that while also finishing up one of the most uh, expansive rulemakings we've ever taken on that was, amongst other things, our electric resource planning and how we bring into that carbon and clean energy plans, as the Colorado statute calls them, and incorporate that and coordinate our world of regulation with the world of regulation in the Air Quality Control Commission, who's going to play a role in this as well, as we then pursue statewide greenhouse gas reduction. So that obviously takes precedence in some ways because of all the moving pieces. And then you work in an arena where you have a governor and a governor's energy office that's put transportation electrification as a very large part of his agenda. And those plans are in front of us. And so although I won't actually talk about the particulars other than to say that takes some priority because it's already there and it has everyone's attention. So things like distribution planning, you try to keep moving along while, while uh, you feel a little bit of that slippage and other areas that are kind of out on the out on the margins that you want to take on more wholeheartedly are kind of waiting their turn. And that's uh, those other things of how all these dockets integrate, for example. That's, that's something we haven't even begun to think about. And it's going to kind of hit us on the side of the head soon if we're not uh, prepared for it. Pardon this quick interruption. Do you like the in-depth interviews on Grid Forward Chats? Subscribe to our channel on Apple, Google, Spotify, or Podbean apps. That way, you don't miss a single chat. And learn more about Grid Forward at gridforward.org. Now, back to the show. I'm going to wait for my next question because the mailman's here and the dog's barking in the back. It's a pause. So when you think about the, the plan and the integrated planning, I wanted to get a bit of your thoughts around the traditional silos that are out there, uh, either between agencies or, or the electric grid itself, as you think about generation, transmission, distribution, and customers, and, and just get your sense as to how blurry our lines getting and, and what does the relevance of that, that potential blurring kind of really mean? I think from Colorado's uh, story experience in this area, we really, I think, 
stated our reputation and really built our claim on first resource planning. And, and we've been kind of uh, affirmed by neighboring states that have been looking at how we do resource planning and all source bidding and found that we have what we think is an appropriately robust regulatory engaging process that really takes it on seriously and says, no, it's not just you to give us a plan and we accept it or not, but really engages in what I think is on the horizon, which is sort of optimization modeling in a new way of thinking about decision-making, where there's several things you're trying to optimize at once. You got to figure out what those things are. Are they of equal value? Can they all be quantified? And now how do I apply different portfolios or options against them? So that's resource planning. And then from there, Meanwhile, we're well aware that transmission, that, that island I spoke to earlier, I think probably from Excel Colorado's leadership, oh, six, eight, 10 years ago, when I was staffing the, our policy research group, when they first brought us these, this concept of um, energy imbalance markets and what are those and the like, and then moving from there to how and when and why should we join an RTO ISO, uh, that is still hanging out there on the side where we know we've got to figure it out, but that begs all sorts of blurriness around, back to my first point on resource planning, who gets to decide the portfolio? We definitely want a clean portfolio as a driver, but so you're not going to, you know, but does the decision-making about generation become regional versus state? Uh, how do you keep a strong state dominance on that while build out a regional system let alone figure out regionally who decides where the transmission goes, why it's there, who owns it, who pays for it, which gets built first. And then that's even before what I mentioned earlier in the distribution grid, which is going to be the last frontier of conflict in a lot of ways, or the newest frontier of conflict between sort of self-generation and utility operations and all the emerging technologies that people want to bring on there. So all of that is blurring in real time for us to figure out just uh, what is our regulatory role in all of that? And that's even before on some of those areas you decide, and you have to, I think, as a good regulator, ask, is this area not need to be regulated anymore? And I think we always should be asking that as well. It's clear that the well-laid-out plans with lots of areas to focus continue now with with new nuance and new considerations. As you guys are wrestling through this, are there avenues that you guys are engaging with peers and trading notes with others to to see how they're working through this you know how, how are you comparing notes with some of your uh you know colleagues yeah thanks for bringing that up you know for those who don't know the acronym so NARUC, which is the national association of regulatory utility commissioners which i'm a part of and nasio which is the national national association of state energy officials those two entities got together some two years ago realizing that there was both a policy and regulatory benefit of getting out ahead of this question about how does distribution, generation, and transmission planning, which even if they're done well, can often become silos, be regulatorily or within the utility itself, how do we start to anticipate and premeditate their integration? So 16 states and territories came together and then working in cohorts that have similar uh, arenas and experiences have been working out our own roadmaps of how exactly that should be done, that we hope to to build into action plans but by this November and release publicly by February. And so I see that for Colorado's benefit as forcing the Colorado Commission and the Colorado players to answer some of those exact questions and say, are there is there data sets in common to all of those? Is there a premeditation that says once you these wheels start spinning, that generation conversations of resource planning should precede distribution planning or vice versa? 
and transmission planning, which may well have its own timetable, should should be on a, a different arena uh, as well. But how do we make those things cohesive and coordinated in with the resources and the talents that we have today? So earlier in our discussion, you had mentioned that the legislature had asked you to, to look into performance-based mechanisms. And we've talked with your colleagues in Hawaii about the stuff that they have in some of their active proceedings. Performance-based regulation, how are you guys tackling it? What are you looking into? Why is it a priority? How are you comparing notes with, uh, with others that are still looking into that as well? In Colorado, uh, again, driven by legislation, uh, Commissioner Gavin is serving as hearing commissioner, and we have a proceeding that owes a report back to the legislature by November. So uh, I think you can read between the lines that they have a strong legislative interest expressed in statute, desiring to see something delivered on real time, and thus signaling, take action here, tell us what the opportunities are, whether it's for kind of safety or customer service or for clean energy or for whatever. First, appreciative of the other states that are ahead of us in many ways like this, where we can learn from them. But I think what we're learning probably, and we're going to have a whole day meeting on this on Friday, is to, I think that you have to determine which outcomes you're trying to steer the utility to. This is behavioral modification at a grand level. And then you work backwards from there. And then you realize you're building a human created system to incense certain behavior modifications. And you have to make sure that we're defining it well, we can quantify it appropriately, that... Um, authority and responsibility are appropriately balanced and allocated? Uh, and do you take it all on at once or do you move it into, which sometimes I've been tempted to suggest, is you build like a safe harbor and you try one aspect of it, even with the degree of hold harmless for some first year, that under no circumstances will X, Y, or Z happen. Or when we hit those thresholds, we will recalibrate or whatever. But I think that's what we're looking at here. I think everyone expects that to be part of the system going forward. When we think about decarbonization, and I appreciate and we uh, that right now in Colorado, we're both pursuing sort of 100% renewable as well as zero carbon. And we convened a public proceeding on that and had some really good thought leaders, technical people like uh, like Chris Clack out of Vibrant Clean Energy uh, out of Boulder and, and others and the good folks at Rocky Mountain Institute and others to kind of say, what's at stake? Do we need to choose a horse here? And I think the answer was uh, for the next decade or longer, both paths basically are, are concurrent. I think it's when you get to the outlying years, and, and you'll hear that articulated well from the Excel leadership, it's the outlying years we're not sure about. And that's where we don't have a lot of time to kind of wet, uh, wait and see if the labs or EPRI and equivalent bring us the answers. We may have to find that new balance that I referenced earlier between what part of RTD and D should be left to the non-utility sector and what part should should be brought over onto the ledger where the utility and I don't want to, I don't want a utility to become a venture capitalist but at the same time I don't think we can afford to just sit and wait so if there's discrete ways and small in, incremental amounts and we've practiced this in Colorado in a docket when I was staffing called the innovative clean technologies docket that allowed the utility you know, its own version of a sandbox and a dollar limit to go try some things. And I think that worked fairly well. And from a, either a regulatory perspective or a broader marketplace perspective, when those solutions incubate, what do some of those pathways look like to, to scale them, bring them fully into commercial 
use or bring them further along into the ordinary operations? Is is there some things that you guys think about from a from a regulatory standpoint or some ideas that you would have from a broader marketplace standpoint that help bridge those proven ideas through to full kind of commercial installation? I think as a regulator, uh, one of the lessons learned in both from watching our own Colorado experience at times and other states is a regulator at best should set sort of the general principles and parameters and then allow technology and options that meet certain standards and parameters, not just cost, but, but emissions and uh, as well as operating efficiency and uh, risk, et cetera. And let that be decided by outside forces that then just bring us those options in portfolios to, for us so that we, uh, we're often mistaken. Uh, and I know by the different folks who reach out and want to make a presentation to me, we're often mistaken as folks who are choosing technologies. And I think it's important to realize that I think good regulation should not be choosing technologies, but should be choosing desired outcomes that reflect the public interest as expressed in statute or, uh, and then through statute, through, through uh, what the different stakeholders bring to us in a proceeding. And so I think that's, that's where that best balance is. We've asked pretty much every guest a question around resiliency, so I'd be remiss to bring it up with you guys. You know, the the definition of the term has taken on new meanings. We never had thought we would need to be a, figuring out operational continuity amongst a global pandemic. But things along the lines of cyber, uh, of general security, of storm recovery, um, you guys aren't as much in the earthquake zone as some of some of our other jurisdictions are, but but all the threats that are coming at the sector that can pay, potentially have major disturbances. What do, what's at the top of mind of folks in Colorado? How are you guys dealing with these issues? Again, it's almost back to that sort of back when the world seemed relatively normal and where we are today. In the early years of my term on the commission, I think we were looking heavily at cyber and, and how to make sure utilities were uh, building all the right defenses in cyber and they would come you know, under the cone of silence and share with us what they're doing. And we would kind of, you know, give some critique of it, but often looking for other entities that can tell us whether this is best practice, because we do not have the bandwidth as a commission to also take on being the experts in that. So we look for the industry and we look for um, best practices between the industry to decide that right edge, because you don't want to overspend, but you don't want to cut corners either. And, And that's a wide arena that we don't have a feel for. So you take that concept and that degree of uncertainty, but where you look to third parties that are credible, like NERC in that case, to tell you what makes sense. And now you apply that, let's say, to wildfire, because we definitely just sitting here today and why I've spent way too much time indoors and a lot of Coloradans can't wait to get back outdoors once the air is breathable. Uh, We have serious fires going on, but not even uh, a tenth of what California is experiencing. And that that is a whole unprecedented level of how do you prepare for that and how do you island and microgrid and, and build resiliency that that I think in a lot of ways is going to force us to rethink what we expect of a distribution system. So I think that's the next piece of that. But again, you know, there's going to be some adverse consequences. There's going to be systems that aren't just going brown once in a while, but black once in a while, or go into darkness for periods that no one's going to tolerate. But we're going to say, you know, we never have experienced this. Every time something happens, like the hurricane that is supposed to hit landfall and at the Texas Louisiana border, you know, tomorrow morning, it's, it comes in with a language of this is stronger and more, more fearful, more potentially impactful than the last one. So 
I don't think uh, we're even fully prepared, but we've got to figure out as industries and institutions through sharing amongst each other, how to quickly get to those best practices while figuring out, I think ultimately many times, what is the role of our shared government, especially at the federal level? Because some of this just probably shouldn't fully be funded by customers because it has such bigger benefits than that. And we've got to answer that question too. So I want to ask you one more question before we get to our final. Uh, Excel recently announced its plan entry into the Western EIM. Uh, well, it announced it yeah. about coming up here in about two years mm-hmm. ago, and, and the announcement was a little bit of back. At, at this juncture, they're joining pretty well all of the major distribution organizations west uh, of you all. How does this decision adjust the, the work there at the commission? How does this impact of the various moving parts that, that we've been walking through today? A couple of quick thoughts on that. One is, right, we've seen this coming. So I think the there's so much upside to EIMs compared to not participating that that seems to be a natural step. People wonder, is that just a, you know, a gateway to thus an RTO must come next? I think there's probably a need to move to a, an organized market of some sort. The big question on the table, and Colorado potentially could bifurcate in some of as they've already expressed, some go to SPP and some go toward CAISO. Whether or not, in a reference back to the editorial that Senator Hansen with Doug Howe uh, put in Utility Dive not too long ago, that basically called out, we may end up in effect with something we haven't even thought about yet. There may be some way that it's a whole new entity. So we've got to stay open to that. Uh, building new is always expensive too, though. So um, that's what we are trying. And we've hired a consulting engineer who's running those modelings for us in real time back to that other statutory directive so that we make a public interest determination of what's best for Colorado and then drive Colorado toward that that pathway. So that's what's in play right now. But I think, yeah, all those variables uh, and Excel has put, you know, eight plus years of dedicated effort in trying to figure this out. But it's interesting to see what it does to, you know, where regulatory decisions change, where people's comfort level changes, where which group culturally people want to be part of, all that's in play right now. And so the EIM is just one healthy but very small step in that. Yeah. So for our final question, uh, we always do these in two parts. Uh, I wanted to ask you, can you share one of the simpler, it doesn't mean it's easy, but maybe simpler uh, and and somewhat easier things that you think should be happening in the industry and, and just aren't making the progress that they should be right now? And one of the, you know, BHAGs or the big, you know, more complex and, and difficult uh, things that are, that are maybe uh, stalled or stopped. But even though they're difficult, you know, we really need to roll our sleeves up and, and start working on. Fascinating. To the simpler one, and I'm, a, I'm at heart sort of a process person. So I look at more regulatory process and I, that's my background. I'm not technically trained, but I look at things from a process management, uh, human dynamics perspective. The simplest thing that really should be happening just isn't happening enough, and maybe Colorado is at fault that we're a little too heavy on our jurisprudence, is there is transformative uh, forces at play that is going to change how the electric utility looks 10 years from now. And that conversation is still not happening front and center, but it's happening in boardrooms, and then it's happening among stakeholders uh, who are kind of hoping it works in their interest, and then regulators are kind of asking to be invited in. That should be happening in public with all the right folks in a right arena that says, we need to be thinking this out and building a vision that works for everybody. And that sounds great. Sounds like something you run for office on kind of thing. But 
that's that's not happening, and that's the only way we're going to avoid some of the the skirmishes that are going to uh, inhibit the changes that have to happen. And then to your second point, uh, the BHAG. That's an interesting. You know, the what is that piece? Um, and I know this in part from my days with the Energy Office, and now as a commissioner, it just Colorado somewhat dodged around the pitfalls when it came to this uh, edge of what do customers want. And we have a governor right now, one of his platforms was customer choice. And, and, and that's a great term, although, because you can interpret it and leave it in your mind however you mean it to be. But I think that the challenge ahead for a state like Colorado, where we haven't, they don't have the same scars as Arizona and Nevada when it comes to rooftop solar, we have to figure out what is the viable coexistence of utility scale uh, renewables owned by the utility and by third parties with rooftop scale uh, generation and community scale, and community solar and the like. All three of those that we've been asked to bring into the market and can bring into being, and they all have their space and they all have to figure out how to peacefully coexist, knowing that no one of them gets to have the entire market and, and no one person can tell you what the right shares are. But if we don't figure that out, the skirmishes that happen persistently in that area do nothing but drag down progress. Chair Ackerman, thank you for being with us. We covered a lot of water. Jeff, it's always great to get your insights and, and Colorado's lucky to, to have you at the commission there. We look forward to uh, future opportunities to engage with you. Thanks much. Thanks for saying the show. So I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Grid Forward Chats, our podcast series with industry leaders on what's driving grid modernization ahead. Check out our website at gridforward.org to learn more about our podcasts, virtual events, becoming a member, and our mission to promote grid innovation and accelerate modernization across our region.